may be seated for just a moment. This guy keeps texting me. Oh, my goodness. Look what she posted. I thought they were supposed to be friends. That's pretty mean. 
Some people you just can't trust. The you can't. Well, guys, guess what? We've got a conference coming up at our church called Almost a Teenager, and it's going to be awesome. And we're going to be talking to you guys about Twitter and Facebook and MySpace and all your cell phones and iPads. We're going to talk about that and how it affects your lives. And I hope you'll come and bring your parents. Can you tweet me those days? I'll tweet you those days. Cool. <laughs> With the media in our current day culture, screaming at our children to grow up too quickly, to have the lightest fashions, to have the perfect body, and to have the lightest technology, the adolescent years can be some of the hardest times in their lives and that of their parents. Parents, please go to fbctifton.org slash almost to find out more information about this Almost Teenager Conference and how to register your family. If they would look before all the as well, February 24th, 25th. A lot of folks have asked, why are you doing a conference like this? And I hope you had an opportunity to read my Beacon article this past week. We kind of explained the void in the lives of a lot of our our young people, uh, grades four through seven, as they're growing up and all the the things that are happening in their bodies and in their minds and, and how parents and children can't always figure out what each other is doing and where they're coming from. This conference will help explain a lot of those changes and help your your uh, students understand that and build a strong foundation um, that will keep them pure in mind and body. So I hope you're thinking about doing that if you have a student. I even had somebody in my church who said, I work with young people and I, I don't figure them out. I don't know what's going on. Can I come? And I said, absolutely. Anybody who wants to, to understand those adolescent years a little better. We have an expert coming in, Dr. Alan Jackson from New Orleans Seminary who will be leading some conferences, and we have others in our church and in our community who will be filling in some of the gaps. So it would be great. I hope you can come. Also, we have some families who probably can't afford it. So if you want to sponsor a family or two, please consider doing that. Reed, come welcome us. Good morning. Hi, welcome to First Baptist Tipton. We are so excited that you're here. If if this today is your very first day here, we love it when we have first-time guests. So in the next few moments, if you will remain seated, our church members will stand up and come and greet you, and the ushers will bring you something to uh, fill out and return to us. So uh, members, stand and rise with us, and visitors, stay seated. Hi, I'm Wayne Whittle, disciple of Jesus Christ, member of First Baptist Church here in Tifton, Georgia. And we'd love to have you come join us this morning. I invite you, no, I encourage you to come be with us on Sunday morning. Brother, I'd submit to you that there are three components to our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. The first is worship. It says in the Bible that Jesus was a church gourd. you know that? In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, He says... He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. If Jesus saw it fit to come to church, maybe we should too make it a matter of importance. 
The second component is discipleship. After all, it wasn't Jesus and the 12 dudes. It was Jesus and the 12 disciples. Remember the familiar verse, Matthew 28, 19? He said, therefore, go and make disciples. There's nothing like being in a small group discussion like Sunday school class where you're sharing with one another, praying for one another. There's one thing we all have in common, and that's challenges or problems. The third component is service. You know, the moment that you get saved, God equips you as a believer with spiritual gifts, all to provide ministry, to edify Him. So if you're missing either one of those, worship, discipleship, or service, I'd submit to you that you're not living up to that abundant life that Jesus promises. We'd love to have you come join us. Visit our website at fbctipton.org or give us a call. We've got someone standing by if you need prayer or if you'd like more information. It's 382-6063. We hope to see you Sunday. we got a chair waiting on you.
Jesus saves, mercy triumphs at the cross, love has come to rescue us, Jesus saves, hope is here, what a joyful noise we'll make, as we join in heaven's song, to let all the world know that Jesus saves. has been repaid broken hearts can be remade Jesus saves sing above the storms of life sing it through the darkest night Jesus saves free at last what a joyful noise we'll make as we join in heaven's song Salvation, he wrote. 
as you find me All my fears and failures Fill my life again I give my life to follow Everything I believe in Now I Super Bowl Sunday, we're gathered together at this Super Bowl this morning in this sanctuary. And Father, we have our eyes on one team, and that is the team that is led by the Lord Jesus Christ, who left the glories of heaven and came down and he established himself on this earth. And as he walked the earth, O Father, he gave such hope to everyone who came unto him. And that hope, O oh God, continues to manifest itself in our hearts. And Father, this is something that is eternal, and we thank you so much for it. And O oh God, this morning, as we come to this point of the service, we're all here, and we know that we have the responsibility and the privilege of following in the steps of Abraham who gave, O oh God, a tenth of his income to Melchizedek, the high priest. 
And Father, though many of us are here and we do not know much about the dimes or the dollars that are in our account, we know, O oh Father, that what we give to you will be multiplied when it comes from a heart that loves you. And Father, we pray that as we go forth and as we dig into our pockets, that we'll come up and in all sincerity give to you what we should and what we know to be the following in the commandment that you gave to us. We thank you, O oh Father, for this morning. We thank you, O oh Father, that this is our Super Bowl, and this is our time, O oh God, to get in the arena and be a part, O oh Father, of the Christian movement of this church, this community, and our world. Amen. Mark called me last night and said, man, I am sick. And he said, I don't think I'll be there in the morning. And uh, I'd just like to ask you to pray for Mark as he's uh, not feeling well today. He's still in bed, not feeling well. And uh, be remembering him throughout the day that God will be his strength and his healer. Uh, through this illness that he's got. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. We don't talk like that very much these days. We don't go around saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. But uh, maybe we should be saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. A little further down in Psalm 103, it says, Because he has redeemed me, and he crowns us, righteousness. It's great to know that we're redeemed. That He is the one who has lifted us from the depths. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His home.
and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then guys. I had my bottle of water with me. My voice is strong when I come in here, but after singing, I get so excited, I sing too loudly and start getting hoarse. So uh, I try to pace myself, but I just can't do it. I just want, I love to sing, and, and thank you for leading us this morning. Um, the Hoper of Penance is the sermon title this morning, Joel 2, 1 and 2, and 12 through 14. Talking about repentance, and, I, and that's what I'm going to talk about mainly today is repentance. And what repentance means basically is to return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. I, I've talked to several children this past week about making professions of faith and and joining the church, and I ask them, do you know what repent means? And a lot of children don't know. And then kind of explain it like this. I said, have you ever had somebody say, I'm sorry? And then they turn around and do, it, do the same thing again. And then they say, sorry, and do it again. And sorry, do it again. And they just keep doing it over and over. And, and the sorry, they say, doesn't really carry any weight or have any meaning, does it? But to repent means to be so sorry for your sins that you... Literally turn away from them and walk in a new direction, 180 degrees from where you were previously walking. 
So we're talking about repentance. And repentance means to return to the Lord. It means to turn away from the sin toward which you're walking and walk instead toward God. It's not too late to do that. If you're here this morning, if you're watching by television, I hope that you'll think about repentance today in those areas in your life for which you need to repent, for which you have been saying, I'm sorry to God for so many years you can't keep track of it anymore. But you keep doing it anyway. And you need to repent and turn away and turn to God. That's kind of the situation that the children of Israel found themselves in. In Joel 2, 1 and 2 and 12 through 14, Joel is talking about repentance. And he writes, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has never been from of old, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Skip down to verse 12. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Listen to this. And rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and repents of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and repent and leave a blessing behind him, a cereal offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. So Joel basically is saying, return to me with all your heart and rend your hearts and not your garments. The children of Israel had been rending their garments, but their hearts had been unchanged. And Joel is saying, it's time, folks, for the change to happen on the inside and not just on the superficial exterior. Let's pray. Father, as we gather here, there are those areas in our lives that we need to repent of and leave behind. And we thank you that we're already forgiven. And perhaps we take that forgiveness for granted sometimes and repeat things over and over again that we know you're, that you have commanded us not to do. It's displeasing in your sight. Father, bring those things to mind and let true repentance take place here in this house. And if there's anyone here that does not have you in their heart as Lord and Savior, let that be the decision they make today to repent of their sins and ask you to save them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The hope of repentance, Joel 12, 2, 1 and 2 and 12 and 14. Two weeks ago, we entered the section of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. It began with the book of Hosea, and it'll run through the end of Old Testament to the book of Malachi. So this is the second book. So for the next 10 weeks, we'll be looking at the Minor Prophets. And I'll just tell you right now what their major message will be. Their message is going to be about repentance because they are preaching to the children of Israel that have left God. They are no longer as close to him as they used to be. They have allowed foreign idols to come in and they have committed idolatry. They are worshiping other gods and the prophets are trying to call them back to the one true God to worship. They're called minor prophets, not because they were written by people 18 years of age or younger, and not because they're unimportant in any way. They're minor prophets because they're shorter than the longer prophets. 
Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel are longer uh, books of the Old Testament, but these are all about 11 chapters or less, 11 or 12 chapters or less. So that's the only reason they're called minor prophets. They still carry a major message, and that's what we want to get across today. Let's look specifically at the book of Joel. Joel is calling the children of Israel back to the relationship they had had with God. You remember that relationship? I've talked about the covenant in the Old Testament several times. The covenant was that relationship that God forged with the children of Israel through Abraham. He chose them to be their, his people. And he was going to be their God. And as a result of that, Moses was able to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land, to the land of Palestine, to a land that was described as flowing with milk and honey. It was so productive and there were so many varieties of vegetation that grew there. Well, God entered into that covenant with with Abraham for the children of Israel. He renewed it through Isaac and Jacob and that covenant continued, but that covenant had terms to it. There were blessings and curses in the covenant. Blessings if you uphold your end of the covenant, curses if you do not. And those blessings for the children of Israel meant that God would be their God and he would watch over them and he would protect them and he would provide for them. And look how he did that through their wanderings in the wilderness with the, the fire and the, and the pillar of, and the cloud at night and, and uh, the manna and the water that he provided regularly as they needed it and as they moved into the promised land, how he provided for them and helped them conquer and take over that land that he had designated for them. And then as they moved through Egypt, God gave them the Ten Commandments through Moses out Mount Sinai. And those were the basic moral expectations that God had for his people. Remember the first first commandment. I am the Lord thou God, thou shalt have no other God before me. That was the most foundational portion of the covenant agreement that God had with his people. And for a while they adhered to it and, and they had kings, they had uh, Saul and they had David and the, and the kingdom rose and, and they were gaining power and prestige and wealth. And then Solomon came along and it hit their zenith. Under the reign of King Solomon, they had all these massive building programs and, and they accumulated great wealth and, and great trade was going on. And the, the nation of Israel just prospered there in the promised land. But Solomon made a mistake. As wise as he was known to be, Solomon made a mistake. He married all these foreign wives in order to forge political alliances with these foreign nations. The Bible says, believe it or not, 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's a lot of alliances. The problem is, and that's why God told them not to marry anybody outside the nation, but Solomon did anyway. He thought it was a good idea to, to maintain peace. I guess he didn't trust God enough to make that happen for them. What happened when these foreign wives came in? They brought their religions with them. They brought their foreign religions with them, and Solomon tolerated it. And so all these idols came up in the land of Israel, and, and the children of Israel began to be swayed and influenced by these religions that these foreign wives of Solomon were were bringing into the land. 
and they went after these foreign gods and, and idolatry began to spring up and take root and blossom in, in Israel and it was breaking God's heart to see his people leave him and go after foreign gods. And the relationship was ruined, idolatry was reintroduced into the pure religion of the one true God that Israel had begun with, and a downward spiral began for the children of Israel and for the Jewish people. And that's when God started sending prophets. Remember I said a couple weeks ago a prophet was not someone who predicted the future so much as someone who just told the present as it was. So these prophets stood up before Israel and boldly proclaimed the sin of the people and told them what they were doing that was wrong and, and begged them to come back to the one true God. They proclaimed the sins of the people and, and they were not popular, but they were declaring the truth boldly and the people had to listen and their messages were written down and preserved for us in the scriptures. And just a couple of them, Jeremiah 24, 7. I want you to see the pattern that comes through all these. Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. In other words, they have left God. They have gone after other gods, other idols, and God is asking them, telling them to return to him with their whole heart. Hosea 6.1, come, let us return to the Lord for he, he has torn that he may heal us. He has stricken, he will bind us up. Malachi 3.7, we haven't gotten to Malachi yet, but this is what it says. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So in other words, the message over and over again in the prophets is that of returning, returning to God. And remember I said returning was repenting. Repenting of our sins is turning from them and returning to God. Associate repenting and turning in your mind when it comes to your faith. Turning, repenting of your sins, turning toward God. The specific occasion of Joel's message he, he relates in the first verses of the opening chapter. This is what he says in verse 4 of chapter 1. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. So apparently a horde of locusts has come through the land, cutting, swarming, hopping, destroying and I don't know if you've ever, it's like grasshoppers. I don't know if you've ever seen a horde of locusts. I, I've seen pictures of what they can do and what they did uh, in, in Israel. It's like a fire basically sweeping through the land. There is absolutely no vegetation that is left behind. The only difference between a horde of locusts and fire is that there are no ashes left. Uh, they, they consume everything. And so the children of Israel, it says, be confounded, verse 11, O tillers of the soil, wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, the harvest of the field has perished. 
The vine withers, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, apple, all the trees of the field are withered, and gladness fails in the sons of men. So this horde of locusts has come through. Everything that they have planted right before harvest has been devastated, and it is gone. And what Joel is reminding the people, he is, he is pointing to that horde of locusts, and he is saying, this has happened, children of Israel, because you have forgotten God. You have neglected the statutes and the commandments that he has given you, and you have gone after other gods. And basically, Joel was reminding them that physical disaster usually accompanies moral disintegration. Let me say that again. Physical disaster usually accompanies moral disintegration. When something goes wrong on the inside, it's usually reflected on the outside. Because we're all part of God's creation. And when we are morally bankrupt on the inside, it's reflected by how we treat our environment. And, And here Joel is saying these locusts came through Israel because you have neglected God. This is his punishment. This is his judgment upon you. Return to God before it's too late. The same thing happens in our lives. Our relationship with God impacts our surroundings, how we treat people, how we treat things. It affects our environment. The same God who rules our souls also rules the world. And the two, what's on the inside and what's on the outside, are interrelated. They come together. Let me try to give you an example of what I'm talking about. Have you ever seen pictures of, of like where a drug addict lives? It's not very pretty, is it? The place is a wreck because they don't care about anything on the outside. All they care about is, is the next fix, the next high, the next opportunity. And so their surroundings reflect the devastation that's going on inside them. What's happening on the inside is reflected on the outside. When we went to Nicaragua a few years ago on a mission trip, the place looked like a trash dump, basically. You know, you could be riding down the road and there was just trash and litter and garbage everywhere. It's a lot of that way in third world countries where, where it's spiritually dark. And what I'm saying is, you know, I asked the missionary, why don't they pick this stuff up? And he said, well, they do, but it's like this the next day. It's just, you know, it just happens overnight. And people keep just destroying the world in which they live. And it just drove home to me the fact, you know, in, in areas where, where God is not worshipped, in areas where God is not living inside people's hearts, they really don't care about anything else. They don't care about themselves. They don't care about the world. It's just a reflection. That's what Joel is saying. What is happening to you on the inside, O Israel, is reflected on the outside. Here comes this horde of locusts, and soon it's going to be something else and something else because you have gone after these idols and you are not worshiping the one true God, and it's going to impact not just your heart, not just your family, not just your friends. It's going to impact all of God's creation. Because we are all connected. We're all interrelated. When you're out of fellowship with God, everything is affected. For Joel, it was locusts. 
But what I want you to see here, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to end on a negative note. Because throughout the prophets, not only is there preaching about the sin of the people, there is also an element of hope. There is always, always hope. And throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, you will see and hear God's heartbeat because he longs for the return of his people. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he repents of evil. That's the way God is. That's what he does. You know, Satan has two basic lies that he propagates. The first lie, and they get him a lot of mileage. The first lie is that God is mean and he is vindictive and he is a spoil sport whose main job it is to rob us of our joy. And the minute he sees somebody having fun, he pokes them and, and tries to pull them away from that. Because God is mean and he doesn't want anybody to have fun. I couldn't be further from the truth. The second lie is almost as bad. It's, the first one is that God is mean. The second one is that God really doesn't care. He probably doesn't know what we're doing. And if he does know, he probably doesn't care. Because he is dealing with more important issues, weightier matters. And in any way, it's God's job to forgive, so it really doesn't matter what we do or how we live or what we believe, because in the end, he's going to forgive us anyway, because he has to. That's who he is. That's what he does. And let me tell you, both those extremes, neither one could be further from the truth. And incidentally, most religions err in one extreme or the other. You see a lot of religions that talk about how mean God is. You'll see a lot of religions that preach that God is remote and distant and really doesn't care and really doesn't know what we're doing here on earth. Both of those could not be further from the truth because our Bible does remind us that God does know, God does care. He comes to give us abundant life. He wants the very best for us and for you. And if you're running from God, let me tell you, you're, you're prolonging your misery and delaying your joy rather than the other way around. Perfect example of this comes in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. It talks about lost things, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. In the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep who were safe in the fold and goes after the one that has strayed. That's what God does. In the parable of the lost coin, the woman has 10 coins in her dowry and she loses one and she turns her home upside down until she finds it. And then there's rejoicing. That's what God does. He doesn't give up on you until, until he finds you because he's looking for you. In the parable of the prodigal son, God is like the father who scans the horizon waiting with open arms for his lost son or daughter to come home. That's what God's about. That's what my God is like. And we have a decision to make. We can continue walking in one direction away from God toward idols. And I realize you probably don't have a golden idol in your home that you bow down to worship. 
But I'm not talking literally. I'm talking what's more important in your life than God? What do you think about when you're not doing anything else? That's what's important in your life. What do you dwell on? What do you spend time pondering? What do you pursue that's more important than your pursuit of God? That, my friend, has become an idol. And we've got decisions to make. Are we going to continue pursuing those other gods? Are we going to repent and turn and worship the one true God? I was reading an interesting article this past week about a guy named Gary Kildall. Does anybody know who Gary Kildall is? K-I-L-D-A-L-L. This is pretty interesting. In 1973, Gary Kildall wrote an operating system for personal computers, and it was called CPM. Remember the old CPM operating system in the, in the late 70s, early 80s? I actually wrote my dissertation on a CPM operating system. It's worthless today. And I'll tell you why. Because one day in 1980, not the dissertation, the CPM operating system. Um, one day in 1980, IBM executives had a meeting with Kildall, and they wanted to buy his operating system and use it on their personal computers. Well, rather than meeting with them, Kildall blew them off, missed the meeting, and went flying in his new airplane. He'd gotten a new little private airplane, and he thought that'd be fun to go off in. So that kind of ticked the IBM executives off. So they made an appointment and called on a young guy named Bill Gates. Bill Gates had an operating system called MS-DOS, and they bought his operating system instead of Gary Kildall's CPM system They incorporated it into their computers, and now Bill Gates is the richest man in the world. I looked it up this week, $56 billion from Microsoft and uh, MS-DOS. Do you think Kildall made a bad decision? He had no idea how big the personal computer operating system was going to be. And instead of meeting the IBM executives, he took off. But let me tell you something, friends. His decision does not begin to compare to the importance of the decision that you and I will make when it comes to eternity. It does not begin to compare to it. And I don't care if you live in this world a hundred years or more. God is knocking on your door and he is giving you the opportunity to return to him. He is he is knocking on your door like IBM knocked on Gary Kildall's and Gary wasn't home. God can't force his way in because that door only has a lock on the inside. So he's standing outside and he's knocking and he's hoping that you will open the door and invite him in. And he says, when you do, in Revelation 3.20, he will come in and dine with you and you with him. And that relationship will be restored. And I don't care how long you live in this world, if it's 100 years or more, it will be like the snap of, it'll be like the blink of an eye and in relationship to eternity. In relationship to eternity, a hundred years, think about it, is just a dot on a line that goes to infinity. And how we live and the decisions we make in this particular point will affect us forever and ever and ever. So I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, 
Like the prophet Joel, I am telling you that we are sinners and that we are destined to eternity apart from God unless we repent of our sin and turn away from our wicked ways and return to the one true God. Confess him as Lord and Savior and invite him into our hearts to cleanse and forgive us of our sins and be our Lord and Savior. He's offered you that opportunity today, right now. If you need to invite Jesus into your heart, if you need to rededicate your life, whatever decision you have to make, choose wisely because it will affect you forever and ever. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, as we come to this point of decision, you have given us one more opportunity in this world to repent of our sins and turn to you. And there are folks here who've never done that for the first time. And if they face death, it frightens me to think what eternity will be like. But all who confess their sins and invite you in, you've promised to come in. Forgive them of their sins and be their Lord and Savior. And I pray there's some here this morning or watching by television who will do just that. Whatever decision, God, we need to make, we only have these few minutes here guaranteed. Nobody knows what this afternoon or tomorrow may hold. But we give this time to you. And we lift you up. And ask that you will draw people into yourself. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be here at the front to receive you while we sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. If it's your desire to make a decision, maybe you've already made it, you need to share it publicly. If you need to rededicate your life, coming in repentance of sins, turning from an old past to a new future with God. If you need to join our church, please do so. We're going to stand together and sing, Turn Your Eyes. I'll be at the front to receive you. Please stand and sing as we come.
Thank you. Have a seat. We want to introduce you to this precious child who is making her profession of faith public this morning. Miss Emma, would you come and stand with me, please? Emma Cargill came to see me this week, and she said that last Friday night, the 27th of January, she invited Jesus into her heart, and she wants to join the church and be baptized as a, an outward manifestation of what has happened to her on the end. I don't think she exactly used those words, but uh, she just wants people to know that Jesus is in her heart, and she wants to join the church and be baptized.